This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We've got three calls of Dylan Moore's Grand Slam last night. Three calls. To, to run through, we're going to do that in about 10 minutes, and you can decide which one is best. I, I've got my own personal personal favorite, but we, we've got these three. We've, we've played Rick Riz and Aaron Goldsmith's calls back-to-back and asked you to choose, but there's, there's a third candidate that absolutely needs to be considered. Paul, I don't believe in clutch. I don't believe that there are guys who suddenly become better when the stakes are higher. I believe that the best players in clutch situations are the guys who can sustain their level of performance, can keep going and keep performing at the level that they usually do in non-pressure situations. This Mariners team is challenging that belief because by pretty much every measure, this Mariners team is clutch. Yeah, and I mean, there's actually a fan graphs measure that was comparing teams and I guess their clutch factor and the crazy thing for the Mariners is they are six. They're not, they're fir- they're not just first. They're like twice more than twice as good right. as any other teams. This was going into last night, so I'm sure it went up. But the clutch metric, the Mariners were number one in baseball at six point eight five. Uh, Boston's in second place at three point seven six. So really, what this clutch stat means is. They're super good in high pressure compared to themselves over the rest of the game. Which, yeah, so, they're clutch. <laughs> it's like it's like they're they're bored and they need to they need, they're they're master procrastinators. But when it's time to get the paper done, they are great at getting that paper turned in with about one or two minutes left. Their whole team is Jim Layritz, and for anybody, like, Layritz was a career sort of replacement level player. Like it's not he was a catcher, he was tough, but he wasn't he wasn't a good hitter. He's got a couple of the most important home runs in postseason history. Like he is he is the epitome of that idea of clutch player. And I think he just happened to hit home runs at a couple of really important moments and that he was otherwise a journeyman. But the Mariners entire team look, here's an example of what it means. The Mariners have not hit nearly as many home runs as the Astros have, right? The Astros are a much better hitting team. They get on base more. Like, all of these different... The Astros are a way better offensive team than the Mariners are. The Mariners and Astros have hit about the same number of home runs with guys on base. Which means that the Mariners barely ever hit solo home runs. That is not something I generally think that hitters can control. That... Oh, now I've got runners on base. It's really more important for me to hit a home run because we'll score more runs and are able to do it. I think that home runs are largely independent. Don't depend on whether or not dudes are out there. You can't control when you hit your home runs. You you hit them and whether or not anybody's on base in front of you is a matter of chance. The Mariners' results kind of point otherwise. And last night, what, they homered with Kyle Seeger hit a three-run homer. And then Dylan Moore hit a grand slam. Runners in scoring position. The Mariners have been one of the better teams in the league. Kyle Seeger has been phenomenal. Kyle Seeger's had a really... He's, his power numbers are, are good. He's played solid defense. He's been available. But he's not hitting for a high average. He, he's, not, he's not having a great season at the plate because his average isn't high. He's having an adequate season at the plate. 
He's hitting like 400 with two outs and runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Like those are the sort of things that are like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I would typically say that's not sustainable. But we're 100 games in and this team believes in itself. And I don't want to say I'm rethinking clutch, but I've decided to suspend my disbelief. And to think that this is just one of those glorious times where where it's not about odds and likelihood and chance. That it's about divine intervention. No. <laughs> Maybe. Whatever the heck's going on, it's absolutely awesome. I'm I'm looking for explanations. You know, I you know, you would think, okay, well, because the Mariners have this weird knack for scoring in the most critical situations. Maybe they have at least one of the, I don't know, best batting averages with runners in scoring position in baseball. Nope, they're dead last. <laughs> like it, It's so hard to explain any of these things. I love that I'm seeing all of this. And I guess the best part about this, or maybe the worst part, I, I don't know what to determine on this one, is that they're doing this all before a lot of the guys that you're expecting to to grab the torch and take them into outer space on a Jeff Bezos-esque rocket. Those guys aren't here yet. Jared Kelnick ended, was a 20-at-bat streak without a hit. He's already had, was it a 40-some hitless streak, 41-at-bat hitless streak. He's not hitting well at all. Evan White has been hurt. For the majority, we're not going to see him again. Kyle Lewis has been out for a number of times. They've had to to patch Jake Fraley, who was really hot for them. He's been out for 10 days. With COVID, he returned to the team. He's going to go on a rehab assignment. He'll be back. But all of those things that you're right, that this isn't – those offensive struggles aren't coming. They're not some sort of commentary on the direction of this team. It's that you don't have your best players in position to and with the experience to be thriving, and you're still able to do this. It really feels like the door is opening sooner than we would have expected. And whether it's good fortune, it's clutch, or it's toughness, whatever the reason is, this team feels like it Like it has it. This team feels – and last night to dig out of a seven-run deficit against the team that has owned you and has run the division for four or five years – I don't think you can I don't think you can overstate the importance of a game like that where you left them sulking and throwing a fit and throwing a pitch and hitting your your shortstop because they were mad about the pinch hit grand slam they gave up. And man, what a bunch of losers they were in that spot. And you guys know where I'm from and that I've had like a weird complicated relationship with that team that I used to cover since moving here, but they're dead to me officially. That that was bogus. You don't go after JP. I, I wanted to fight someone right there. That that actually made me angry. You're going after JP of all people, and whatever. I mean, you could say, oh, well, he was trying to work him inside, and that's what JP Crawford, to his credit, said after the fact. But that was some lame, bogus crap. Your ERA is like 79. Can you can you can you actually do something of value in the major leagues before you go back down to the minors after getting rocked for a thousand yard grand slam there? Like that guy. What what I was is your mad deal? At Correa. I was mad at Correa. After the fact, with the Ray, stare down. Rayleigh, Rayleigh, what Rayleigh did is, and whether or not he meant to do that, he he came inside on JP twice and then hit him in the shoulder. After giving up a grand slam that end, that culminated a, a comeback from a seven-run deficit. You do the math there. It's pretty straightforward. I was really mad at Correa because as Scott Service is yelling 
at Rayleigh. And even if you tell me that that was entirely accidental and that pitch just got away from Rayleigh, Scott Service has every right to yell at him. Like the, you can't, you can't be a pitcher in that situation and be surprised that people. He got ejected because of how awful it looked, and then Carlos Correa staring at Service, and then shaking his head dismissively, and then staring at him again. This is the same dude that tried to be snide and condescending to Cody Bellinger after Bellinger complained about the Astros and the sign-stealing and the fact that they felt it tainted the World Series championship that the Astros won against the Dodgers. You don't get to be smug and condescending when when you're caught cheating. You don't get to be smug and condescending when your team blows a seven-run lead and your pitcher, after going inside twice against J.P. Crawford, it, it was a chump move. And it was a big enough chump move. I don't want it. Correa is going to be a free agent after this year. Don't want any part of him. I don't. I don't want. I, I hate players that are like that. I don't. Know no interest, Paul. I know. Okay. No. No okay. interest. I'll talk, talk he's me a out of smug. It. He's a smug little front runner who, like, when he gets caught doing something, tries to shift the. Bl- he's staring at service. Can you? You're going to stare at service, and you're going to shake your head dismissively because you think that that's silly. Like you are. That's ridiculous. Okay. Just slap myself. No more Correa. Bad Paul. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that front. The way that they acted at the top of the dugout, I think the other part of it is that they realize that this is different after this game. And you can understand why Houston would overlook Seattle just given the way that things have gone specifically over the last two, three years. I mean, it's been decidedly one-sided. Now I wonder how Houston's looking at this. Because, okay, earlier in the year where Seattle actually did pretty well against the Astros, all things considered, but it was due, I think, partly to some of the injuries that Houston was dealing with. That's one thing. But now, when Houston is a little bit more full strength, and and this is something that you saw, where, I mean, Houston looked like they were going to run away with that one last night. I mean, it was, was what, 6 nothing with one out, two outs? It got out of hand quickly. Down seven runs, the Mariners come clawing their way back. As I said, you're going to now get a choice. We're going to play three different calls of the go-ahead Grand Slam that Dylan Moore hit in the bottom of the eighth inning. We're going to start with the classic. This is Rick Riz channeling Mariners legend Dave Niehaus in a home run call that should give you chills and make you a little bit, it, it could, it might get a little dusty in here. Now the left-handers, 1-1 pitch to Dillon. Swing and a well-hit ball, deep to left field. Grandma, get out the right, bread and mustard. Grand salami time. Upper deck, left field, down the line. Dylan Moore with a grand salami. And the Mariners lead the Astros 11-8 in one of the greatest comebacks I've seen in a long, long time. The classic. We'll say that one, that one's excellence. Now we're gonna go to exuberance. That is Aaron Goldsmith's call on Root Sports with Mike Blowers adding a wow at the beginning that you need to listen for because I really think it's it's the thing that makes this home run call. Well, that and the voice crack. Bases loaded, two outs. Kidding me. 
Now, A, the fireworks, the bat crack, they all add up. That's a pre- But if we're looking for sheer emotion for the thing that might best capture the moment, we need to go to the Houston Astros. This is their radio play-by-play. Paul, who's the who's the play-by-play announcer? Of this? Uh, it's Todd Callis, who is the son of Harry Callis, who is a longtime Phillies and Eagles broadcaster, I believe. All right. Here is... Here is what it sounded like in Houston. Really here, one-two pitch is crushed and deep, and that's a slam. Upper deck, grand slam, Dylan Moore. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, though, Danny. I'm a, I'm a little triggered right now, and, and this just came to my attention and appreciate some of the people on Twitter for making this aware, our, our guy Brian. Dusty Baker, we all like Dusty Baker, right? I've at various points thought that Dusty's the coolest man alive. Not anymore. He's on the list. Quote, the guys they were sending up there were all sub-200 hitters. We walked the guy that's hitting 100, 102. The Cole Irvin approach. The Bob Melvin approach. Salty much? Come on. Look, your bullpen, it's not doing so well. You're going to take shots because you're salty after losing this one? Come on, man. That's that for Dusty Baker, who is like everyone's cool uncle. That's a that's a terrible look. I love it, man. I love it. It's been a long time since the Mariners have bothered anybody. It's back to back series and two division rivals. I love it, too. It's it's been a long time. There's some dude at a Houston radio station that had to block Mariners Twitter last night because he got so owned. <laughs> ben you, you, you I have, you have the, the manager of the team that has the best offense in baseball is is being snide and condescending about the Mariners because they erased a seven run deficit against his team. You've got their reliever Rayleigh who's throwing because he gets in such a snit. I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I absolutely the highest the highest compliment that you can pay to someone is to give them your attention. I, I've been called a blood traitor today because I've been mean. I've been texting friends. Hey, what happened last night, man? I didn't watch the game. I fell asleep. Not it's, da- it's Danny and Galan. It's time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at nine fifteen with Danny and Galan. Today's an exceptional day. <laughs> I'm back. What's up, DJ? I'm back. DJ. Nobody can hold me back this time. Well, actually, yes, they can. I mean, whatever. Once again, it's- back is the incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, first up, Jamal Adams will report to Seahawks training camp, uh, camp with contract talks still far apart, according to multiple reports. I do not buy into talks about a contract being close or a contract being far away. It's only when it's done. The fact that he is here is a really, really positive sign. And that speaks louder than anybody's description of how close a deal is. If if this was a if there was a gap that was big enough for there to be a no go, that there's no middle ground to accept here, he wouldn't be here. Nope. I think it's it's a very, very positive sign that he's here. It's a great sign. And, you know, those people who I think were expecting things to be bad are mostly from New York. And it's because they just can't get it out of their heads that the New York Jets are a joke and an embarrassment to America. So, you know, I I didn't think this would be a problem. Did you? Did you ever think that things would get contentious to the point where Adams would maybe look at this situation and not handle it in a way that is, I guess, 
I don't know, professional? Is that is, is that how you describe it? Like, I, I, I thought that for sure he was going to do his due diligence when it comes to making sure that the Seahawks have every single chance to give him that extension and that things will not get salty to the point that it did with him in New York. This contract will get done, and he will. it won't affect his availability in the regular season. I've always felt very strongly that way. I did wonder, are you going to have a couple weeks that he's not there? Is, is there going to be some time before he gets signed? And it may not happen right away, but I didn't have any doubt about the long-term result. I did not think Jamal Adams himself was going to say anything about being disappointed. Or I, I thought there just might be some. It might take some time in training camp before it gets done. I think now it's going to get done sooner rather than later. I'm on the same page. All right, Aaron Rodgers is officially back at Lambeau Field for training camp, snowboard, goggles, and all, and is nearing a deal that would make the 2021 season his last season in Green Bay. And to me, it sounds like a really bad remake of The Last Dance. So the contract will probably get redone in such a way that Green Bay essentially has to trade him after this year. Did Aaron Rodgers win his stare down with the Packers? Well, he He might... he, might he got be- mad, and he's 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 going going to get out of there after one more year. Did did he win? It depends on if he gets Randall Cobb, which is apparently one of the stipulations that he wants to have back with him on the Packers. I that, don't think so. That's window dressing, right? Like that is saving face a little bit. Is it even window dressing? I mean, Randall Cobb's not good anymore. So no, he's not. I mean, this is just a weird move and it's I don't know if this is supposed to be like some sort of make good for who was the dude that he was so mad that the they got rid of what Jake Kumaro like some random wide receiver that I'm not even sure is in the league anymore yeah I I I don't think he won in any way here outside of maybe maybe just maybe Green Bay will let him walk but from the sound of things they're going to evaluate the situation at the end of this year and Pat and Rodgers would still be with the Packers next season it's 2023 when he would actually be able to theoretically test the market and get to free agency, at least based off of what I last read, Danny. I, I think that the plan is that they will trade him after this year. Okay, that they would so trade him. So he'll still okay. be under contract, but and they'll get some compensation for him. If that's if that's the, the way out, if he plays one more year with Green Bay and then is gone and goes somewhere else, is did he win? He only wins if he wins elsewhere. Because this is the best situation for him to win. He's been to two NFC championships the last two years. He's 28-8, and eight, and this pity party that the guy has had thrown in his favor is ridiculous. All right, well, as Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson returns to training camp, the team is willing to listen to trade offers for the star quarterback, with some reports saying it'll take at least three first-round picks to pry him away from Houston. Hmm. I... Isn't it weird that we've moved on? Nobody's gonna trade for him, man. I I I still I still don't believe that you're gonna have a team that's gonna trade for him before those cases are resolved. Why why are we just moving on from the cases, by the way? I mean, now uh, there's there's ten criminal complaints that have popped up, and look, lawyering is lawyering, and I I know that Tony Busby, the lawyer of the prosecution here, I, I, I don't really like his methods at all and the way that he has handled this. But this is far from over. And the NFL has done nothing about it, which honestly surprises me that they're just letting this linger. And it's funny, all of a sudden, I think it was Deshaun Watson's agent who's putting it out there. Well, okay, well, I'm coming back because I I don't want to face any fines, but I still want to trade. And now all of a sudden we're talking about him getting traded again. Look, 
this was a couple of allegations or something like that, maybe maybe you can you can sneer at them or dismiss them or whatever. We're talking we're still talking 22. And yet we're just moving on to talking about trading the guy. It's weird. I don't like it. And the guy's a no trade clause too, by the way, which is also seemingly being forgotten, which makes it difficult to move on from him. I'm surprised the NFL has not put him on the exempt list. I think the NFL should put him on the exempt list right now. And if some team trades for him before he goes on the exempt list or without him, if 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 a team trades for him and takes the approach of, hey, there's not been a criminal charge filed, there are complaints that have been made, but nothing's been prosecuted, he has not been charged, and the rest is just a civil matter, and we'll see how it plays out in the courts, you can see exactly how much that team cares about the sexual abuse of women. Like if that's that that they care as long as it doesn't get in the way of them getting a potential top five quarterback that they care. But this will this will lay that extremely clear. If a team trades for him with this outstanding, it makes it very clear that they care about the ability to get a top five quarterback more than they care about what looks like the serial inappropriate. the, The most charitable description is that this was serially sexually inappropriate. In a worst case, that you're you're employing and trading for a predator whose market value has been impacted by these complaints. Snap your you're finger. getting him on. You're getting a great quarterback on the cheap because he's he, that he's potentially criminal sexual predator. Snap your finger like Thanos, and all the good quarterbacks in the NFL are gone. How many teams would make the deal for Watson? I think we're talking over 50% and how much over that's 50% gross to me man but that's it's gross not to me. inaccurate he, he's not he, yeah I I won't look Greg Hardy got a job yeah. in the league after what happened here's what I would say I would be furious if a team that I cheered for acquired a player like Deshaun Watson I don't think I would not want my team to employ him if they didn't have to give up a thing for him that that that's how I feel right now I'm with you I think a lot of people would say that I think a lot of people could also have their minds easily changed should he come to their team and succeed and then start to talk themselves, as we've discussed earlier, to bargain with, I guess, what has taken place and rationalize it in their heads somehow. Oh, well, you know, he's learned from his ways. He's redeeming himself. But it's mainly because he's just having success now for your team. It is Danny and Gallant. Nick Rolovich currently addressing reporters at Pac-12 Media Day. He's appearing via a Zoom call because he has not been vaccinated. We'll have some updates on what he has to say. We'll also tell you about the Mariners, and it seems that they've gotten at least under the skins of tonight's opponent. We'll explain. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. And the pitch on the way to Raleigh. Swing and a line drive into the gap. Right center field, extra bases. Crawford's going to score. Seager running third, being waved in by Manny. Now here comes France running third, being waved in by Manny. France will score. Cal Raleigh into second base with a bases clearing. Three-run double, and it's now the Astros seven and the Mariners three. It was an awesome comeback. That was where it started. And it went from being uh, sort of salvaging some dignity to making it interesting 
to being a statement that you put an exclamation point on. That's that's how I would describe it. That you started off and it was awful just getting kicked around and you feel like, oh man, Darren McKagan, first major league start, second major league appearance. He just walked into a buzzsaw. He gives up six runs. The Mariners are in this huge hole before they even swung a bat. And they pretty systematically clobbered their way back into it. And what could be a defining moment for this team in this season? Definitely feels like a defining moment. Nail on the head there. This is a comeback against the best team in the league, right? We could say Boston maybe is with the record that they've shown in San Francisco in the National League, too, with what they've been able to do. But I would just say, given the lineup that this team has, Houston is a scary team, and they showed it in the first inning. And you hung in there. And I I, want to give a lot of credit to someone that, honestly, I felt made a Rocky Four reference earlier in the show. I felt like throwing in the towel with McCacken after the first inning. I felt bad for him. I was like, man, he he just looks hopeless against these guys. But he hung in there, and, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be a plus starting pitcher or a plus pitcher for this team, but he needed to go through four, and he got through four. He hung around just long enough to give the Mariners' bullpen, which has been overworked of late, a little bit of rest so that they could get through last night's game the way that they did. And now they're set up pretty well for the next two games, all things considered, because they got into Houston's bullpen. Better than pretty well, man. If you believe it all in momentum or confidence, or and, and I do, especially in baseball, if you're the Mariners right now, you f- how do you feel about yourself after you gave up, you took their best punch. You're down 7-0. In a situation where you could start rationalizing and saying, okay, this is the most uncertain. McKagan is somebody we didn't expect to be starting games for us. He's on the mound because Justice Sheffield is hurt. He'll be throwing a bullpen tomorrow. Justin Dunn is hurt. LJ Newsom suffered a season-ending injury. Margavichus was knocked out for the year. James Paxton got hurt in his first start of the year. Like those are That's the series of events that needed to happen to have Darren McKagan on the mound last night. And yeah, he got roughed up by the best offense in baseball. And then slowly, it wasn't just that the Mariners salvaged dignity or made it respectful or preserved the bullpen. They won the game. Mm -hmm. They won the game and made the Astros then turn into the petulant babies who are plunking the next batter after giving up the go-ahead grand slam. The Astros became the ones who Dusty Baker's complaining about how his bullpen walked a guy that was hitting 100-102. Like, that's what what the Mariners did to the the biggest, baddest team in the division. Yeah, and... I think the biggest, baddest team in the division is going to seriously reevaluate how much it wants this. You know, it, every now and then you'll see a pet, whether it's a dog or a cat toy with some animal maybe out in the front yard. Maybe it's a skunk. And all of a sudden the skunk shoots back or it's a porcupine and the porcupine sticks the animal. And that's, I think, something that the Mariners did last night. But there's also a little bit of added potential of maybe – Maybe somehow this smaller animal has the ability to eat something that's bigger than it. I don't know. I'm thinking crazy thoughts after last night's game. Look, this is a a season in which we're asking how far along are the Mariners, right? Like, that's kind of been the question. I don't think that this season is going to answer definitively whether the Mariners are on the right track or not. I think that it's probably going to take some more patience than that. But if this has been a season about how far along are the Mariners, the answer right now is further along than anybody could have reasonably expected. 
The answer right now is far enough along that they should be making an addition here this week before the trade deadline, which is Friday. They're far enough along that they took three out of four against Oakland and now dug out of a seven-run deficit at home against Houston. And this, by the way, is coming from a team that had been playing among the best teams in baseball if you go back to mid-June. Like this is, we're now past the point of, of it being they got hot, they put some things together. We're now at the point of this team being competitive with the best teams in its division, teams that were objectively better and ahead of them when the year started. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's look at a guy that maybe was cooling off, J.P. Crawford. I mean, he's your catalyst last night. He, he made everything happen. This team doesn't have any hits on the board. It was an easy, perfect. Minimum batters faced first three innings for um, the Astros pitcher, whose name is eluding me at this moment in time. So he gets a hit in his first at-bat of the game, but he's thrown out on a double play afterwards. He, get a, he gets a hit in his second at-bat, too. And I, I don't know what it is about J.P. Crawford, but there's something about him that I feel like galvanizes the rest of this team. And, you know, that was a guy that was in the midst of a cold streak himself of late. You know, we talk about ups and downs and ups and downs of a long baseball season. Crawford looks over the last couple of weeks, like he was coming back to earth a little bit, and like maybe what we saw was an anomaly. But without him last night, I, I, I don't know that any of this happens. It's three hits in his first three at-bats. Certainly was it was a table setter and putting things in place. Cal Raleigh with the bases loaded double, scored three runs. Kyle Seeger with the three-run home run. Then you had another single run driven in, and then a Mariners grand slam by Dylan Moore. And afterwards, Scott Service talked about the significance, what this one feels like specifically. You know, we, we, you go through seasons and you have big wing wins and come from behind wins. And, and I go back a few years ago, we were down, I don't know, 10 runs to the Padres that one night. We came back, but this is special. You're on, you're at home. Uh, you're in a situation where we're at and kind of in the standings fighting for something against a really, you know, uh, the first place team. So this one's pretty darn special. How do you keep this going? Seriously, what's the best way to keep this going? And obviously at the trade deadline, we'd like to see the Mariners add somebody, and it seems more and more likely that they will. They went four, they're went 4 and 1 over this stretch of seven games. They've already succeeded. Let's go out there and throw, Scott, or to throw Chris Flexen tonight, who's 9-2, and two, mm-hmm. going up against Lance McCullers. It's winning this series, which what would be, I think, the 12th of their last 13 series yes. that they've either tied or won. Like that's, that's the next step, is coming out of this homestand – not four and three, but maybe five and two, you still have the chance to go six and one. It is making a definitive statement. That's the next step. It's Danny and Gallant. Game two of that series is tonight. First pitch, seven ten. Ten dollar tickets. Right. Don't forget, if you want to go, go. This is a fun Tuesday night experience for ten bucks. Seven ten ESPN Seattle pregame show starts at six. We'll race flags next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. Follow up the Pac-12 Media Day currently taking place in Los Angeles earlier this hour. Nick Rolovich, Kook's coach, answered questions and specifically has been asked about his decision not to receive the vaccine, which is why he's appearing via Zoom call and not in person. Rolovich, quote, this is according to Theo Lawson of the Spokane Spokesman Review, quote, the reasons for my individual choice will remain private, end quote. Uh, Another quote. 
I am not against vaccinations, and I wholeheartedly support support those who choose to get vaccinated. End quote. And he did say that roughly 75% of the team has received the COVID vaccine at Washington State. And he, he wanted to make it clear that he's going to uh, follow the procedures that have been laid out and stand on the statement we put out was the end of the quote again all that according to Theo Lawson Paul would you like to raise a flag throw a flag yes pick up a flag you know this is a double raising of the flags I'm raising with both hands number one it's always nice to hear what happens when an empire gets taken out and when you saw Dylan Moore pull the equivalent of shooting a torpedo into a thermal exhaust port on the Death Star that is the Houston Astros lineup and pitching staff and all the things that make them what they are last night. To hear the exasperated sigh of Houston's play-by-play, it'll make you happy. Really here, 1-2 pitch is crushed and deep, and that's a slam. Upper deck, grand slam, Dylan Moore. I've long considered Tuesdays to be the worst day of the week. Just know that on this Tuesday that nobody is feeling it more than Houston Astros fans and Houston Astros broadcasters. And I also loved this moment, Danny, afterwards. I think J.P. Crawford is coming more and more into his own from break your face comments earlier this year. I, I, I just enjoy listening to him talking. I'm a little biased because I had him on the Paul Collard show a couple of weeks ago and he was a lot of fun talking with him but this line after the game talking about watching the Dylan Moore Grand Slam from the on on deck circle is fantastic it was chaos everywhere I blacked out I was screaming on deck I turned around just yelled to the brick fence wall thing we have right there (laughs) it was cool Oh, my goodness. Moments like that you just dream of when you're a little kid in the batting cages or something. And it's just to finally do it on the big stage. Demo's a bad man. Plain and simple. You a bad man. It's a big moment for Dylan Moore. You know, right now we're, we're wondering who's going to be a part of the long-term equation for the Mariners infield, for their outfield, too. And basically right now there are some guys who are playing for maybe a long-term future here or future elsewhere. But Dylan Moore after a rather shaky start to the season, has shown some glimpses of what we saw last year, which was honestly a pretty special season that he was able to put together. It was a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. It is. And my favorite moment of the reaction was Luis Torrens, who's standing on the dugout rail, like fully standing with his arms up in the air, and then he jumped off. You get a couple of those moments every year, and rarely do they happen in games as big and significant and as important as that one was. That was special. DJ, who is back with us. What do you got for a flag? I've got two small flags. Won't take long. One, I want to raise a flag to Darren uh, McCacken because I know that first inning was about one of the ugliest innings we've seen from a starting pitcher this season for the Mariners, giving up six runs before the Mariners were even able to step into the batter's box. But the fact that he went three more innings only gave a one more earned run while the Mariners' bullpen was spent from having to use it so much this past weekend, especially on Saturday when Logan Gilbert just flat out didn't have it on Saturday. The fact that he gave him four innings, it, it, that comeback doesn't happen 
unless he does it. So I just want to give a shout out to him. You know, we've been talking a lot about Cal Raleigh, Kyle Seeger, Shedlong, and of course Dylan Moore, like we should. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Mariners starting pitcher Derek Derek McCacken, just because the comeback doesn't happen without him going forth strong strong-ish innings. And also, I just want to throw a quick challenge flag to Mariners fans. As Paul's been saying all day long, $10 Mariners tickets today. Yeah! It's going to get... It's Pay those be, bills! It is going to be intense today, especially with what happened to J.P. Crawford. It has been feeling like playoff atmospheres when you're just watching on TV or listening on 710 ESPN Seattle, listening to these games. It's the closest it's been to a playoff atmosphere, I think, in possibly 20 years. And I think the the players keep talking about how great it is to have the fans there. Scott Service has talked about how the fans have helped them in these comeback wins. Get out. Get out of T-Mobile Park. Today, tomorrow, rest of the season, this team has... They deserve to have a good fan turnout for their home games for the rest of the season. Join the cult. Join the cult. Let's go. I'm throwing a flag on Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa needs to understand that moment when you lose the moral high ground. And and he doesn't. He didn't get it two years ago when, after the revelations about the Astros sign-stealing and the rest of baseball, especially players who had faced them, reacted angrily. He, in an interview with Ken Rosenthal was specifically condescending to Cody Bellinger, trying to explain to him what the real facts were. Like, I'm not sure at what point bashing on the trash can, at what point of getting an opponent's signals and relaying them to the hitter using a bat against a trash can, you lost the ability to criticize what other people do or say, but you definitely lost it there. And last night, as Scott Service was shouting at the Astros pitcher who had just hit... J.P. Crawford, after busting him inside twice, after giving up a go-ahead grand slam, as Carlos Correa... Well, first, let's hear what Scott Service said about how he was feeling after watching that happen. You can't speak to you know what's going on in, in the pitcher's mind, whatever, but certainly with the all the emotion in that game and, and how uh, you know we were celebrating and, and whatnot, um, you know you can take it for whatever it's worth. I, I thought. Yeah, you can't let pitches get away like that and, and hit somebody after you give up a grand slam. But again, was it on purpose? I don't know. But things happen in the game. Very emotional game. And I'm glad he got ejected. Service had every right to yell. And if you're the pitcher, you got to stand there and wear that. Because even if you didn't mean to hit him, it looks terrible. And Carlos Correa stares down service and then shakes his head dismissively and then stares back at him again. Want to be victim? You don't have the. You don't have any sort of moral high ground on anyone about this stuff. So, yeah. so pipe it. Like sit down. It's it, it is chump behavior. It is chump behavior by a really good player. And you've seen it. And now I understand. Now I understand why Joe Kelly gave him boo boo lip. I I understand why Joe Kelly gave him boo boo lip and said nice swing, like because that's the kind like Carlos Correa acts like a chump. And you're of the belief now that he cannot be a Seattle Mariner. I don't want to cheer for him. No, not interested. You no, thank not you. Not even as a hired gun. No. All right, I'll slap no. myself again. Sorry. I keep on, he's I keep on be thinking free, about it. He's going to be a free agent? Nope, go buy somebody else. Let somebody else pay for that. I don't think that stuff ages well. 
They've been getting under a lot of people's skins the last couple of nights, whether it's Cole Irvin of the Oakland A's. Good. Or it's Bob Melvin, the A's manager. Or, or Ben Dubose, <laughs> who is a radio host in Houston who's decided to block most of oh. 710 ESPN ben, in Seattle. Uh, ben is Ben is a sweet soul, but he is totally different online than he is in person. I, 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 I will not I will not I, dump I've on him because everybody else is. <laughs> I've never seen anyone lose it over Mariner's Twitter the way he lost it. See, like that dude. That dude's embarrassing himself. Pat yourself on the back, Mariner's Twitter. You guys are becoming a thing. And enjoy the next couple of hours that you get to just dunk on the Astros and everybody that's a part of them. Also, not just them. You know, it's Correa, who you just mentioned. It's Dusty Baker, who's complaining about his bullpen giving up hits and walks to walking Jared Kelnick. Because he's batting he 100. Yeah. Which is accurate, but sounds salty. That's going to do it for us. I want to thank Brock Heward for Blue 42, the professor for the morning drive. Tomorrow we got Seahawks practice that we'll be getting you set for and hopefully another Mariners win to talk about as they play the Astros in game two. DJ Wilder, who came back to hold it down like gravity. And he is Paul Galan, and he's, yeah, he's he he's now mad at his ex. Right you are, Danny, and he is Danny O'Neill. And you know what? Don't give... If you don't want the boo-boo lip thrown at you, you can't act like a boo-boo lip. And that's what Carlos Correa was being. So uh, cut that stuff out. So long. Farewell. Enjoy tonight's game. And up next, is that the best Mariners comeback that you've ever seen? If not, if you can think of a better one, give me a little bit of a history lesson. On the text line, 710-710, the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Text line, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle is next.